Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Jennifer Waits. I'm Paul Reesmandel. Hello, everybody. I'm Eric Klein. On the show today, we are revisiting a topic that is near and dear to us, the preservation of sound. This time around, the emphasis is on podcasts. Our guest, Jeremy Morris, is the founder of Podcaster, which is short for Podcast Research and spelled Podcast R-E. Podcaster is a searchable, researchable archive of podcasting culture. Jeremy Morris is Associate Professor, Media and Cultural Studies in the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that's where Podcaster was launched. Jeremy, thanks for joining us on Radio Survivor. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start. Can you describe what Podcaster is? Yeah, I guess the easiest way to describe it is it's an index of podcasts that you can kind of search and um, research, use to research. We were sort of trying to create a database, almost like what you, you know, when you search for podcasts in iTunes or in Spotify, but one that was geared towards academic researchers, uh, people who are interested in maybe uh, digging a little bit deeper than what you can in some of those commercial databases to, um, you know, look for keywords in podcasts, you know, find a bunch of podcasts that are all around the same theme, uh, that kind of thing. So we're really trying to, you know, provide a tool for researchers who are interested in studying this form, um, and especially studying this form over time, uh, because I guess, you know, um, when it started around 2014, 2015, I realized, you know, we're already at risk of losing some of those those early podcasts in those early years of podcasting. Yeah. So tell me more about that, the genesis of it and why you felt like there was a need for this tool. Yeah, I guess uh, I had like got interested in podcasting around 2005 when I was doing my PhD and um, it was, you know, I was, I was living in Montreal at the time and working, working, uh, I was writing for a blog that did not pay me, um, but it was like an arts and culture blog that was lots of fun. Um, we here and at I was, Survivors stand by the axiom that work is work, and there's paid work and there's unpaid work. Yeah. So this, this was in the unpaid category, um, but very, you know, again, one of those things where, like, I really enjoyed it. It was a great distraction from... Uh, the the work I was doing in my PhD. So we were writing a column about bands that came to town each week. And, you know, here's where they're playing. This is what the band is. Uh, here's what you should go see. And we thought, oh, you know, podcasting is taking off. What if we tried to do a, a podcast version of that, um, of that blog post that we were doing? And yeah, so I ended up, you know, recording this thing called the Midnight Poutine Podcast uh, for four or five years. It wasn't a great podcast. Uh you know, we never had huge audiences, but it was, you know, one of those things that grew over time. It was one of those things that helped me learn about audio production. I I had a, you know, firsthand experience with making these things and making these things on a schedule. Uh, and it was, it was uh, just a real great learning experience and one that, that, that kind of shifted some of my academic interests towards writing about it. Um, I was doing my PhD at the time with Jonathan Stern and we... Um, we started writing an article together about podcasting along with two other of my grad colleagues. And it was one of the kind of earlier articles about podcasting called the politics of podcasting that we had out. So it was really, you know, and then I left it and I finished my, my degree and got a job and moved to Madison and had started, you know, teaching my class on, on the internet and all these other things. And at a certain point I was like, Oh, I I wonder what it'd be like to go back and kind of update that 
politics of podcasting article, what would it mean to to go back and and try and expand it a bit or see where podcasting's at now in 2014 instead of then. And as I started looking for some of the early podcasts, uh, started realizing like a lot of these shows from that early stage from, you know, 2004 onward, were actually really, really hard to find. Um, and if you just had Andrew Bottomley on the podcast last week, you know, that's like part of the, you know, uh, what's so great about his book, right, is that it's it's crazy to think that that period of time, even though it's not that far away, is already, you know, a lot of it is already really lost. Um yeah, I think I always refer to this one anecdote where, like, Adam Curry, do people know Adam Curry on the show? So he was one of, the, like, the earlier podcasters, um, and he had the show The Daily Source Code, which people often cite as one of the first podcasts. And, you know, I saw something on Twitter from him, which was like, hey, does anybody have any uh, copies of the episodes of The Daily Source Code from, you know, 2005 to 2000, whatever, like, I'm, I've lost them, I've tried to you know, figure out where all these things are, right? So if you have this like central podcast that is really important for people who are writing histories about it and often reference like, hey, here's this guy who, you know, helped start this thing. And he doesn't even have copies of those files himself, right? Like it sort of speaks to how ephemeral they can be if people aren't aren't kind of tracking them. I mean, luckily for him, he had a, a fairly sizable fan base and they were able to piece piece the archive back together. But you know, it's, it's stories like that that I kept hearing that made me super interested in just like, hey, if we're if we're talking about this and we feel like it's an important medium and we don't have access to it, what kind of stories are we going to be able to tell? It's so funny because having an archive of a podcast from 2005, like I could imagine, oh, yeah, it's still on my iPod. But if you listen to a podcast in 2021, you just streamed it. So it's, yeah. it's here and then it's gone. Yeah. No, and, you know, we can get in a little later to, like, discussions about, like, what it means if we're moving away from RSS, if we're moving away from a download model of listening, what that means for preservation. But, you know, that was that was sort of the thing. And that was right around the time, too, the serial takes off. And, like, you know, there was a kind of renewed interest, I guess. There was definitely a stronger industrial interest in podcasting as, as a medium. You get companies like Midroll, you know, like you get, you get these companies that are doing uh, and trying to build that business. So uh, Andrew Bottomley and I were, were working together and kind of, we, we literally started with very simple premise of just, oh, we should start downloading some of the shows that are being mentioned in all these articles about, you know, the, the, the podcasting revolution that's going on in 2014, 2015. What would it mean to try and save some of these things? It was like, literally, I created an iTunes database on my computer. <laughs> so that was, that was the, 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 the real start of, of Podcaster, which was very humble beginnings. Uh, and Jeremy, does, so is Podcaster hosting these podcasts? That's what I'm curious about. I know that, um, you know, this is such an amazing mission, and there are a number of people trying to figure out ways to save things. Library of Congress even has started saving podcasts. Um, so, and I know that's complicated. How do you how do you house all of this data? Yeah, so um, the biggest thing that the database offers is the metadata. We pull a lot of like metadata in from the RSS feeds. Um, we have been also keeping the audio files 
but we keep them behind a kind of, you know, like a, a researcher login. Uh, and we actually haven't even really built out the researcher access portion of it yet because it's, it's, it's obviously because of copyright, like it's a hard thing to manage. Um, so, you know, for us, it was kind of a mission of like, Hey, is there something that we can build that would be able to keep these? And then is there like a safe and research friendly way uh, to, to, to offer these things? Um, and Owen, can you explain a little bit? Not everybody understands what metadata is. So when yeah, you mentioned and, and the RSS feed in particular, I mean, oh, yeah. it's something which folks who have been in podcasting a long time take for granted, but may not may not currently be as as commonly known ideas here. So yeah, Great. if you could talk a little bit about how these things fit together. Yeah, so I'll say that the database relies primarily on RSS feeds. And RSS feeds is a, a short, um, you know, an acronym for really simple syndication. Uh, there's like two other versions of it right now as well, <laughs> uh, depending on, on where you stand. But it's basically a technology that emerges from blogging. Uh, if you ever followed blogs in the early 2000s, maybe you had a feed reader and you could subscribe to blogs that you liked. Uh, same kind of technology is behind podcasting. Yeah, which I would like to tell young people that it's like, imagine if you could control your Facebook feed. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what we had when, when RSS was king in the early 2000s. Right. That's great. Right. It is, it is one of these things that just, you know, you, you had this window of things that you liked on the web and it just was all fed to you. So anytime somebody publishes new content, it immediately is on your feed reader or uh, on your mobile device. So when you used to hit subscribe, I mean, the word, the word subscribe is starting to be kind of politicized in podcasting right now, but when you used to just subscribe to a podcast, it meant not that you had to pay for it. It meant not that you had, it just meant that you were, you know, following the podcast and it was downloading automatically to your device. So we, we created basically just a, a, you know, an academic version of that where, uh, it wasn't just coming to my own personal iPod. It was coming to my work computer and we were, we were, we were saving the, the podcast there. Um, the RSS feed is not just an audio file. So it's not just the, the thing that you're listening to. If you're listening to this via a podcast, the RSS feed, uh, also allows you to embed it with data, uh, descriptive data about the podcast. So if we were talking about the metadata for this podcast, you know, it might have who are the four people who are hosting the show. It might have the date that it was being produced. Uh, it'll have a whole bunch of kind of functional metadata uh, about, you know, cover art description of the episode. You know, this episode features Jeremy Morris talking about whatever. <laughs> These are the kinds of things that metadata uh, will include. And that data for us has proven to be really uh, rich. Uh, it allows you to, you know, basically put a whole bunch of data into a MySQL database and then uh, serve it up to users who want to search for like, oh, I'm looking for every show that Jennifer Waits has appeared in. And you could find, you know, a, a number of podcasts um, that would feature you. Um, it's also been a very frustrating part of the process because podcasting is open and very independent. So not everybody puts all the information in their RSS feed that they should put in their RSS feed. So it's been both, uh, one of the unpaid work. Yeah. Yeah. It's been one of the sources of joy of the podcast, but also, uh, one of the biggest challenges of the podcast. Uh, And something I I, want to point out about RSS that I think it's important. We may touch on it some more. You sort of alluded to it, Jeremy is like, it's an open standard, right? Nobody owns it. 
and folks propose and, and because it's based upon another standard called XML, um, which is also an open standard. People propose different things that you could add into it, you know, and uh, and so you know you could an enclosure the thing which says hey download this MP3 is a proposal is something somebody added to this to to make it work with podcasts. Um, so part of the strength though, right, is that kind of anyone can make a podcast uh you can use software you can use a platform you know you can use a host you can use anchor or libsyn or something like this you can also write your own software you can also hand code that xml feed yeah. which i have done uh, 20 years ago nearly and paul um, not, not only can anyone make their own podcast but in theory anybody could make their own podcast player yeah a, a, right. the, the website or app that plays podcasts right. does not have to be owned by any one specific and and that's company. why you can do this because if you had to rely if you wanted to do this about say video on the internet right you'd have to work with YouTube and then other video platforms which each if they even allowed you to to kind of ingest the video and which ingest the metadata used to have an RSS feed for videos Yes, but that's a different you, show. You'd have to you'd have to develop it for Twitch. You'd have to develop it for TikTok. You'd have to develop it for Instagram, etc., and all these other different sorts of things. And it would all be, you know, even though I, I, the way that podcasters may describe their things may not be super standardized, there is still nevertheless something of a standard, and you can kind of expect uh, things to, to be similar from show to yeah. show, episode to episode. And, and the project and you just searchable. described, Paul, would break. As soon as one of those corporations changed how their feeds right. proprietary function. And, and so what's amazing here is that you're sort of relying, you know, to some extent what you've done, you know, I guess you, in this project, you know, starting around 2015, you could have done in 2005, you can do today and it and it will still work basically more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, that's why I say like really at the heart of the project is the RSS feed and is the metadata and that's also why like i fear for the project's <laughs> future in some ways uh as we have companies that that kind of move away from from rss a bit but um again i don't know if that's like a uh toward the, the no, end of the podcast i actually think it's worth mentioning yeah. right um because we do talk about this sort of access and and over time here on radio survivor on the problems of storage media essentially how is that sound stored and how we don't have much say sound stored from the 1930s that might have been broadcast on radio and podcasting being a born recorded medium right means that we have the opportunity to have a lot of it but but for various reasons don't have some of it because say it's not no one saved the file including the person who made it but right because i think what you're alluding to is that there's that there are some podcasts which are either sort of subscription only where you, you pay for them, and so they're distributed in a different fashion. You have to subscribe to a particular service. And now we're starting to see podcasts which are um, may not be subscription-only, but are only available on a, on a certain platform. Like right? YouTube. Like Spotify. I mean, if you, if you only or put YouTube. your podcast on YouTube, it is impossible for, for it to become part yeah. of the, the, the comprehensive list of right. podcasts that Jeremy has built. And, right. and it's a divide, I'll say, because, you know, I work in podcasting, as many people who listen to the show know, and currently I work for Stitcher, which is now part of SiriusXM and Pandora. And in the industry, certainly, it's a debate of those companies like ours, which principally support 
distributing podcasts by RSS um, so that they're available on basically any platform, any podcast uh, uh, player that will take in an RSS feed versus other companies which are uh, looking to have podcasts that are exclusive to their platform either entirely or, or in a, what do we call a windowed fashion where you listen to the first week or so it's available on on, a, on another platform and then it's available more publicly to any other and we, we, we call it colloquially we were calling it the open ecosystem right and obviously I mean you can hear from <laughs> my tone that I have an opinion and luckily my opinion lines <laughs> up with my employer's opinion though I'm not speaking for my employer in this particular time but that impacts what you're able to do therefore that if the if the show is available only on a particular platform say most famously Joe Rogan like the Joe Rogan experience is now only available on Spotify Right. Um, you, it's, you don't have to pay for it, but you have to listen to it uh, on Spotify right. as, Which a, means as you a Spotify can, user. The MP3 is never on your device. You'll never have it. Uh, it can't be archived easily. If you if you were so inspired to care so much about Joe Rogan, which I could imagine in a world millions that you of people do. Yeah, you should you should be studying Joe Rogan well, as an academic. And it, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's the number one most profitable podcast at the moment, you know, there, there, there'd be industrial and economic reasons why you might want to study it. And it, you know, you can uh, obviously, you know, the, I'm sure there are people out there who can record a stream off Spotify, and that's fine, you know. But that starts to like really get you to crossing lines in terms of copyright and what you're able to do with things um so you know like the the worry around that is true for rss but it's also you know uh, because our mechanism so i I didn't really fully like get into where the podcaster database went after you know it was this thing on one computer we now basically just have you know lots of servers and thanks to a guy at our 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 university peter sangstock who's just been amazing and then teams of research assistants um most notably Sam Hansen, you know, we, we've created this this system that that basically ingests podcasts by subscribing to the RSS feed. So if, you know, for example, uh, Radio Survivor wasn't in podcaster.org, you can go to podcaster.org right now, go to the submit uh, podcast um, uh, tab, and then just add, you know, the RSS feed for it, and then it will be kind of logged uh, for posterity. So because we depend on the RSS, that's great. But yeah, if you have shows on Spotify that don't uh, openly offer where the RSS for the show is, it's hard for us to find it and track it down. Um, it's also a problem for like, if I did want to go back and say, add a whole bunch of episodes from a podcast in 2008, and it's no longer producing anything, right? But I somebody kept the MP3 files of it somewhere. Like, we don't really have a mechanism yet for just uploading the MP3s in a way that is, like, not painstakingly manual. You know, like, the great thing about relying on the RSS feed is it brings in all that data. It brings in all the the episodes. It brings in, you know, the, the history of the show. Whereas if you just gave me a folder of MP3s and you're like, oh, this this was my first podcast before I did Radio Survivor. You know, we had this other podcast that was called this. You know, here's here's the 47... 85, you know, 130 uh, MP3 files I have of it. Can you put it in your database? You know, that that becomes a, a bigger challenge for us that we're actually, we're working on now and we do have a kind of submit form where people can do it, but um, and we'll be able to keep some data, but it certainly won't be as rich. I don't think the data that we're going to gather from that, um, or it will be like, you'll have to go in and really edit like 
here's who was in this episode, you know, here's who the host was or whatever. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I was wondering, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how the metadata can vary tremendously from podcast to podcast. So maybe there's a podcast that is light on their descriptions and, and they don't include a lot of tags. So um, on the podcaster team, can you go in and, you know, if you have time for this, can you go in and add additional details to that metadata if if the podcast hasn't arrived with them? Yeah, we talked about um, in the early stages of the project, whether to make this a little bit more like a wiki, you know, where anybody who was producing or uh, anybody who was uploading could like enter in their own data and change it. Um, and and yeah, like tweak the or even add user tags, you know, because we thought that would be a useful feature, right? Like, so there's the RSS feed that people did. Could we add some extra tags on top of it by the people who are using the database? Um, it, it largely just came down to like funding and time and like we haven't had a chance to develop it um but there's certainly a good reason to have that kind of model where the users of the site could actually start tagging it as well uh it does raise a couple of problems in terms of you know are people ascribing qualities to it that you know uh, maybe don't apply or whatever and therefore like do you need somebody to kind of moderate that content that's being posted and again like this is this has been a a a project where Eric and I, uh, my colleague Eric Hoyt and I managed to get a, a grant from the UW and from um, the uh, NEH, the Digital Humanities uh, Office of the, the NEH. And so, you know, we had two, two to three years of funding on this thing. And then, you know, that helped us build a kind of infrastructure and build like the main pieces of the site. But since then, you know, we, we, we kind of basically need to go back and apply for more if we want to do more things. So there, I feel like a lot of my answers to some of the questions will be like, yeah, you know, that would be awesome. I need to find either money or people who can do that for me. <laughs> you know? Well, well, there are, I mean, there are some existing features that are really interesting, I think. And, and I'd love it if you talk about that because you have things like keyword visualization. And we've been talking about a lot of um, this, maybe more in the abstract, but um, I think it's pretty cool that you can go in and actually, you know, see things graphically. Um, uh, you can see the visual that represents the keyword. So maybe explain that better than I just did. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, the um, we've got a couple of things that we really worked on during that. Any so the the initial iteration of it was just kind of a search box, and it was a really broad blanket search. And so if you, you know, searched for a word, it would it would return a lot of. Um, and anything that had to do with it, but it wasn't a very like tailored and smart search, I guess. Uh, so when we got those two grants, we hired a, a, a bunch of research assistants, and most notably Sam Hansen and Susan No. Um, Susan No was really crucial in developing the visualizations. Sam was helpful in developing the advanced search features. And basically, the advanced search is just kind of like what you'd see in, in in Google or any other search engine, right? It lets you just kind of search a little by filter your search by by things that you might find more useful so filter filter by date um filter by you know who the who the host is filter by keyword you know filter by title so you can kind of um, take different elements of the rss feed and 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 filter through the search uh the visualization the visualization features we had hoped would be useful for researchers who might be just like looking to discover podcasts or um looking to find 
different ways to surf through or search through a large body of uh, an audio database, you know. And so the keyword, um, uh, keyword, I forget the exact term for it, but it's like the keyword word cloud. Um, and it, it's, it basically takes the, the keywords from tags uh, and then it shows you all the related tags, you know, all the podcasts that are related to those tags. So for example, if this podcast, if you put in the tag feature, you know, it's about radio, Jeremy Morris, um, you know, uh, whatever your keywords are, you could then take one of those keywords and, and put it in the word cloud and it'll pull in all the other podcasts that include that keyword as part of their, as part of their tags. And so it's just kind of a way to discover like, oh, okay, here's all the podcasts that are talking about, you know, uh, whatever, you know, COVID-19, right? You could, you could think about any kind of cultural trend that you might want to see. And each of the keywords in the word cloud, you can click on it. It'll take you to the podcasts that have the, that tag in it. So it usually spits back a whole bunch of tags. It's not um, perfect in the sense that it really depends on... <laughs> podcasters and how well they've tagged their podcasts. Um, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but one of the like most common tags in podcasting is just the word podcast. So <laughs> almost any tag we put in, whether it's radio, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's Jeremy Morris, will like return the word podcast as like the biggest thing in the word cloud, just because um, that's so frequent. But um, so that's the, the keyword um, word cloud or the tag word cloud. And then there's well, a- I, I, I want to just note what's interesting about this is not just that clear functionality, but, you know, for instance, Google has rolled out podcast search. If you search for things that, that it finds in a podcast, it will provide you those results and make it playable in, in the search results. But Google highly depends on podcasts that are available now. And I think, you know, for your tool... You're talking about podcasts that may be publishing now, may be available now, but also about podcasts that you've ingested that are not to be found on the web any longer, potentially, because yeah. their their owners have have abandoned it for all intents and purposes, no longer pay the bill, was it with a host that will hold it indefinitely, et cetera. Um, and so you're compiling something which, you know, I think we, we can say that in many ways the web is ephemeral because nothing – only those who are responsible for making something are those responsible for keeping it there. And when you, and often you entrust something to um, a third party, some commercial service, even if it was free, um, those terms could change or the service could go away. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, poof, there goes your podcast or whatever. So if it had an RSS feed, it's, your tool can, can keep it ostensibly forever, but as long as someone's willing to keep the lights on for, for a podcaster. Right. Yeah. And I think that is the, you know, one of the, 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 the drive, you know, I don't think we ever thought we could build a service that was going to compete with any of the commercial services in terms of like how fine our search is going to be, or, you know, the amount of detail that we can provide. Like now there actually is a, a few more of these kinds of like, there's the podcast index, there's the um, pod DB, which is kind of like IMDB for podcasts, you know, so it, it literally kind of, it does a really good index job of, of who all the hosts are and like whatever celebrity appeared on however many podcasts you can really, you know, so th there are more of these things now. Some of them are commercial, some of them are not. Um, 
I don't think we ever, you know, had the intention to, to make this something that was going to compete with commercial services in that way. It was literally born from a, from what you're describing there, right? Which is the fear of if those things stop being around, you know, like, are people still going to be able to search them? Are still people, are people still going to be able to go back and find out like, okay, what happened in, you know, 2015, you know, what were people talking about when serial came out? Well, let's listen to all the serial, you know, commentary podcasts that went on around it or whatever. Right. So, um, so that was a big part of, of that. And, and, and the word cloud allows you to kind of jump into some shows that you probably would never have seen just because they happen to share a same tag. And sometimes that's useful. Sometimes it's just extra noise, but uh, in terms of academic research, it's fun to jump around. It's like, you know, it's, it's why we like walking around libraries and just looking at the other books that are near the thing that we want. Um, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> The rabbit holes. No, I just yeah. haven't been inside of a library. I know. I was going to say long, far too long. I just went in a library the other day. It was fantastic. Um, You know, we've been talking about the time aspect of of Podcaster, that that you're able to capture podcasts from the past, Jeremy Morris. And and there's another tool, uh, Term Frequency, and that you can look at things over time. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, and that's just kind of almost almost like a Google Trends type search, if you've ever looked for that, you know, where you, you want to see the incidence of a keyword. And we actually borrowed that from my colleague Eric Hoyt, uh, has a database, the Media History Digital Library, where he scanned a whole bunch of um, film industry magazines that are uh, in the public domain. And, you know, if you wanted to search for a keyword, uh, it'll tell you how many times that keyword appeared in, you know, 1953 or 1938 or 1946. Um, and, and so you can see the kind of rise of a particular keyword in the fall of it. So we were trying to emulate that for podcasting. And we were trying to say, you know, could we develop a graph that would show you, you know, if you search for COVID-19, when do people start talking about that? And when do people stop talking about that on 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 the podcast within our database. Um, I think it's a really useful feature. It it suffers from a few flaws in terms of like our database after we got some some money behind it, like the amount of data that came into our database in 2016 means that it looks like every word took off in 2016. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a bit of a like scaling issue with it, but we've tried to correct for that a little bit. And I think as we get more years into it, it will it becomes a more useful tool. But yeah, it is one of those things you can kind of track over time. What are podcasters saying about a particular, you know, at least is the keyword showing up in their metadata somewhere? And if so, then it's probably in the podcast and we could go in and listen to it. The war in Afghanistan. Right. When did they stop talking about the war in Afghanistan on podcasts? Oh gosh, it started before podcasts. And still going. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, I'm curious. So um, this is a pretty, pretty huge collection of podcasts that you have. Um, do you have a sense of how researchers are using it? Maybe you could tell us some anecdotes about cool things people have learned digging yeah. through this, th- using this tool. Yeah. So I think um, the one of the more common uses is for teaching. I think people are looking for podcasts to teach. 
uh, and they're not sure which podcast to include, and I need a podcast on this theme, and they've searched through the database and, and said that it's really useful that way. Um, I think people have just kind of poked around and found shows that they didn't know. Uh, they sort of used it to get out of the discovery bubble that they're sometimes in on their own podcasting platforms. Um, unfortunately, we get a lot of uh, requests uh, that are hard to deliver. Also, like, uh, I've got a request in my email inbox right now from somebody who's like, I'm trying to get at some transcripts of some podcasts because we want to do like a transcript analysis. And we actually, for a period, were in partnership with a company called Audio Search uh, that ended up getting purchased by Apple. Um, but we had uh, an agreement with them and, and gave them some, some funding for uh, transcripts, uh, interactive transcripts. So we actually had like a feature on the site where you could not only search all the RSS feed, but you could search the entire transcript of a show. It was super powerful and I was very excited about like building that out, but it's just really hard to do at scale. And it transcripts also raise a bunch of ethical issues about like how much you want to keep and make available some of the things that go on in podcasts. So, you know, we still have some of the transcripts in our files somewhere, but like finding them and actually getting them to people is difficult. Uh, My favorite cases are when um, people get in touch and say, Hey, this podcast has, um, you know, just been taken down or this podcast has been like gone exclusive or this podcaster lost all their files. Like, do you happen to have access to it? Like, did you, were you kept capturing that? Um, and I've got a colleague at UW Madison, Reg, uh, Reginald Royston, who does work on, um, podcasts in South Africa. They like, he follows kind of tech developers who are using podcasts as a way to communicate and, um, one of them, something happened to their studio and they lost some podcasts and it was like, you know, I was happy to be able to say like, okay, here's the link to some of those files. And I think Andrew also got in touch at one point when, um, he had lost access or needed access to a, to a file that was no longer available. So, you know, those are the moments where it's like, okay, that's what this thing was designed for. And I'm happy to be able to help, uh, in, in a scenario like that. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, a podcast in South Africa because um, I forgot again. I forgot that podcasts were all over the world. I needed to be reminded um, how much, how many podcasts from Africa are you able to to have in, yeah. in the database? No, and it's uh, you know this has been, and we can get into talk about like collection and curation um, uh, policies. I, I, we're not, we're not an archive, so we don't really have like an official policy, but we've, we've sort of had missions along the way of things we're trying to do. But a lot of it comes from, you know, are there scholars who are studying a particular podcast and they want to make sure that that's available and that they, they will have access to it. Um, you know, in this case, Reg, I, I was sort of like, that's super interesting. I didn't know about like this entire podcasting scene you're talking about. So, let me, you know, let me know which ones you think are, are, are worth kind of keeping and saving. And so we added a bunch of those. Um, our database right now, uh, I guess I should say, yeah, maybe I'll back up and talk a little bit about, about how or what we collect. Um, so right now we, we tend to automatically log the RSS feeds for uh, the top 100 charts in iTunes or in Apple Podcasts uh, in the U.S., um, and I believe we have UK and France in there as well. Um, 
So, you know, like we've got a couple of countries we're sort of thinking about whether to expand others, but otherwise it's been very like targeted, you know, when I go to conferences and I hear people talking about a podcasting community that I didn't know about, you know, can I bring some of that stuff in when I'm, when I'm scanning articles and I hear about a podcast network or a podcast uh, collective, um, I, I kind of try and I try and look for the things that wouldn't ever necessarily make it to the iTunes top 100 because that, that filters out to me a lot of the great stuff that's happening in podcasting, right? Is is not necessarily. And I also think like the things that are in the top 100 iTunes list, ideally, you know, if they're from NPR or This American Life or wherever, like hopefully they have a preservation strategy of their own. Although I've learned that sometimes they don't. I know you, you never can assume these things. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that you're open to suggestions about types of podcasts and, you know, we've certainly had a variety of people on the show talking about their areas of study. And I'm, I'm thinking about Jennifer Highland Wong and, you know, studying some of these early podcasts that women created and, and things like knitting podcasts that might not, well, may or may not end up on the top of the charts. Um, so I'm glad, there, I'm glad there's room for that, for the wide variety of podcasts that are out there. Yeah. And, you know, Jennifer's case is an an, an awesome one, right? Which is, and this is the, uh, this is the argument that, that, that comes in the, in the book. So I'll, I'll maybe save it for that podcast, but you know, the, the, the short story is if we don't know that those podcasts exist and if the history of podcasting gets written as like, Oh, it was this thing that Adam Curry did. And it was like, when people started, it was mostly guys on their computers in their basements talking about tech. You start to write a history of the medium. That's not necessarily accurate. And that leaves out like a whole bunch of people who were making podcasts at the time, but they just didn't get written up or they didn't get the press for all kinds of structural reasons. Um, so, you know, like trying to provide a database like this, that, that shows a more nuanced version of the history of podcasting, the history of the format um, is, is sort of one of the, one of the goals of the project as well. Well, and since you mentioned it, we're, you know, we have plans to have, have you returned to the show, Jeremy, to talk about a book that you're co-editing or you co-edited with Eric Hoyt called Saving New Sounds. So maybe since you mentioned it already, give us a little tease for that book, which we will talk about on a future episode. Yeah, it's um, an, an edited collection that Eric and I did. So we, I think, has 15 chapters or something like that. It's open access, which is great. So if anybody wants it, you'll be able to find it on the web. Uh, and we sectioned it off into three sections, you know, talking about podcasting's histories, talking about podcasting now, and talking about podcasting's futures. Um, and it was just a, a opportunity for us to talk a little bit about the podcaster database and how researchers have used it. There are a couple of case studies in the book of academics who are using the database to search for a podcast and then do some research on that podcast. So it's it's kind of a how-to if you were interested in using the database to do some work. Um, but it's also bigger than that because it is kind of like talking about uh, what's, what's where did this format come from? How has it evolved? What does it mean when we, you know start adding advertising into podcasts uh what does it mean when we try and save podcasts that have commercials in them that change every couple of weeks uh you know what's what's the thing that you need to save when you're saving a podcast uh, so all kinds of questions like that that uh, i'll be really excited to talk about for for more time if i didn't get myself you know kicked off of a future episode because <laughs> of 
Absolutely because of not. How this is going? Well, and and so podcaster's been going on for a number of years. I'm wondering during that time, have uh, what have you noticed as far as the academic community and podcasts? Is right. there? We I mean, let, I sense I sense there's a growing interest. We in, should let listeners know who might just be joining us on the radio, especially is that podcaster is this. Uh, is is this uh, research project it, it's a database of all these podcasts that especially academic researchers can go in and search uh, for keywords and guest you know and topics uh, especially from the past from podcasts that are no longer you know publicly available because time has gone by yeah and i think we're up to almost like three million files uh, indexed in there now so it's a uh... You know, um, it, it's, it keeps growing, which is great. And uh, we keep, like, trying to find more server space for it. <laughs> but we're we're happy. It, you know, again, like I said, it's uh, we do our best to kind of try and maintain it. But if, if there's anything that you want to see on it, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with me because I'm always, I'm always looking for things to, uh, you know, areas, pockets of podcasting that I don't know about, which there are tons. Um. So, so your question was, how has the academic uh, interest in podcasting changed a bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you definitely see, you know, I mean, podcasting is weird. And I, I don't know, Paul, I'd be interested in your take on this, especially from the industry side. But, you know, other, other sort of new media just kind of take off and like right away, everybody's into them. And it's like, you know, TikTok is huge. And then like three weeks later, we're, we're on to something else. Podcasting has been one of those things that like, it's always supposed to be the next big thing, but it's, it's always just like a real steady kind of growth in terms of listener interest in it. And I'd say that's the, the same thing with academic interest. It, it, you know, there were people writing about it as soon as it started being a thing. You know, the, the article we wrote was in 2008. Uh, Richard Berry had an article in 2006. There were a number of other folks writing at that point too. Chris Markman, you know, so there's, you, you get like a, a, a slow growth then. And then, and then certainly in 2014, when you have this renewed interest as a result of serial, you get a lot more folks writing uh, and interested in it. And now you have this really neat confluence of people who are studying, you know, radio studies, people who are studying sound studies, you know, there's a bunch of different disciplines uh, that are turning to podcasts, both as like things to talk about in and of themselves but also just like media texts, like we might talk about television or film or whatever. So um, you're starting to see more edited collections about podcasting. You're starting to see more books about, you know, um, I'm just reviewing one now that's now two years old, but that podcasting, the audio media revolution book, you know, so there's just, there's a number of people in the space now and it's, um, I just find it really vibrant. It's fun at conferences. You'll always see a couple of panels on it. Um, I mean, I, I think podcasting, I mean, one of the things that, it, right, it, it, it has been very steady. And we have to remember that it, it began before the smartphone. <laughs> and, you know, and that meant it was more challenging to consume. It was more challenging to produce. We have to take into account that something like TikTok, everyone who participates in TikTok has the production and consumption device in their hand. Um, right. And that it is specifically tuned to that device. And it is in many ways, I think a direct result of that device, the smartphone and that TikTok or an Instagram is highly interactive. And the podcasting really isn't <laughs> podcasting. 
you know, is very much what we would say in industry terms, a lean back medium where you lean back and you listen to it, right? Like radio. I mean, because effectively it is radio. Um, and the way I've often thought about the, the growth in podcasting is that I don't know that people, and this is something that I like to learn more about and test and really research is, do they get into podcasting or do they get into a podcast and now that's their gateway to podcasting? Because certainly, I don't know if you've had this experience, Jeremy, people have asked me, I don't get this podcasting thing. Why, why, why should I be into it? Right. Why should I right? And, and in, in large part, I think it's because they haven't, there hasn't been a, the podcast for them. I had a friend who's a radio professional. Oh gosh, it was probably eight years ago now say i don't get this podcasting thing all of the podcasts are x it was all of them have this one attitude and i was like well okay what podcast are you talking about because there's no such thing as all of the podcasts in you know even eight years ago there's just there's any kind of voice there's any kind of conversation you could imagine eight years ago so if you're only hearing one kind of attitude you're only listening to one so let me help you i can help you and uh they have their own podcast now (laughs) like they get it but it was but eight years ago they were like i I just don't get it but no one's but if you say i don't get this tiktok thing you open up tiktok and you hand it to somebody and immediately you you'll be consuming more you know you'll be consuming how many videos and how many minutes right it's easy to get into it's sort of immediate right um and podcasting is not not everyone's a listener yeah and not everybody's a listener right i think that those are a lot of things that have you know on on the one hand you know maybe kept it from being as they say in the industry hockey stick growth right where it's just a steep steep rise but it it also you know, it has consistently become more and more popular, I think, as it's become easier to consume when you can immediately start a podcast rather than download it on your computer and download it onto your iPod, you know, and have many steps as you had to do even 10 years ago, really. Um, you know, that that made uh, things a lot easier. And so, you know, right. That's So I think it is really about what is the what is the podcast that gets you in that makes that, that gets your interest and says, "Oh, well, now I'm interested." Are there others? You know, and Serial, which you've made many references to, Jeremy, right in 2015, I think is considered by many. But it, I mean, it's it's it's. I don't think this is yet a researched and uh, well backed up with data um, uh, sort of analysis. But I think largely considered to be one of those gateway podcasts, right? One of those podcasts where people who weren't into audio and not into into some subgenre like like improv comedy or um you know tech news uh heard about from their friends and i think we, we looked at it in the industry we're like well yeah it got the new york times crowd <laughs> it got you know the university crowd it got the kind of people who are npr listeners to now have a reason to listen to podcasts that that really aren't just a rebroadcast of an NPR show for all intents and purposes. Right. Um, and, and, you know, such that, you know, Saturday night live made fun of it. Right. And, and that seemed to be a moment, which, you know, when it's has enough zeitgeist has enough popularity in, in the general public mind or knowledge that, you, that, that Saturday night live now can find it to be an object of, 
of uh, of scrutiny of something to make fun of um you know and and therefore it's thought of to have been a gateway for many people into then well okay serial's over <laughs> i've listened to it all or you know i'm up to date and now i want more things to listen to what else do i listen to um you know but that's a, it seems to be a slow process right and we don't you know and when we talk about these other media platforms you know we often talk about them by the name of the commercial product tiktok youtube instagram facebook and for better or worse uh, no one you know we still talk about a podcast which is far more generic uh, really and and far less platform dependent in a lot of ways i, I don't I don't know how that measures up with with kind of your thoughts on it jeremy yeah no, I, I mean, it is, and it is the, the tough answer to that question when people are like, oh, is this a thing that I should get into? Like, I'm always never sure how to answer that because it's like, I don't know, you could say to somebody, is TV something that I should be watching? You know, <laughs> right, it's like, right. like, I don't even know where to steer you in what direction. You know, it's, yeah, like podcasts are great. I love them. But, it, you know, it depends if you like to, you know, either fill your commute with somebody talking in your ears or whether you want to sit down and, you know, it's like, and... Now, you know, I mean, the the range of uh, genres, the range of categories of podcasts that you can listen to is really hard to direct somebody to that unless they're like, oh, you know what I'm looking for? I really enjoy, you know, investigative journalism, right? It's like, oh, okay, I got a podcast that, you know, might might lead you in that direction. Or I really enjoy stories uh, like, you know, audiobooks or whatever. Okay, well, great. I got I got a I got a couple of podcasts that are fantastic audio fiction, you know, so um, it, it, it's a tricky thing to answer. And I think you're right. It, it, it's, it's one of the things that's been slow about the growth of podcasting. And it's one of the things that I think Spotify is really hoping to like capitalize on right now is they realize that even though Apple has been, you know, for all intents and purposes, the primary platform for podcasting over the, or over for the podcast consumption, of- really. Right, right, right. Sorry. Uh, not, not production, obviously. Um, but yeah, like where listeners go, in terms of in terms of finding them but apple's been very hands-off in terms of how it's it's managed podcasting and so that's why you have a lot of people whose relationship with podcasting is not with a platform it's with their podcasting app right it's like i love overcast or i love pocket cast or whatever 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 um app you're using is is almost how you and even though you're using the iTunes world the, the ecosystem as a kind of like middle um intermediary there uh, it's not you. You don't necessarily have a relationship with it. Whereas now, I think Spotify is really trying to say, like, no, no, okay, like we want to be the the destination for that. That's why we're gonna like give you a, a feed in the morning, which is gonna have podcasts and music, and you're gonna get to see and be exposed to a couple of shows you've never heard of, and you're gonna get thirty second clips of them. And we're gonna, t- you know, so that I, th- I feel like they're they're really trying to push to say this is something that we want to own in a way that Apple um, Apple's has been. And I, I don't want to make it sound like Apple good, Spotify bad, right? Like, but but Apple's been hands off in terms of some of the aspects of what what that ecosystem is, or how that ecosystem is going to work. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, I like your story, Jeremy, about people asking you, "Should I get into podcasting?" And you know, that being like, "Should I get into television?" Because mm-hmm. you know, podcasts are content. It's interesting content that we can consume. And, and you mentioned all these genres. And, and, and so it's interesting to think about this podcaster tool that I'm assuming it encompasses all of those genres. So you could go in potentially and research 
audio fiction. You could research maybe news-oriented podcasts, um, uh, knitting podcasts, and um, and I could see how that might be overwhelming for people who have never listened to a podcast. Like, what is this thing? I, I don't understand. Right. And um, Where do I start? Well, and that's not what we're talking about today on today's show, but like one of the worst things is that no podcast – even the podcasts I love the most, they never start with the new listener in mind. They're always they're always talking to last week's audience this well, week. Well, but neither do YouTubers. Neither I mean, I mean, if if we're if we'll be frank, I mean, honestly, right? I mean, I think we have to kind of that is true. Um, but it is, I mean, what what other medium also caters? It's that is that is serial in nature. Also caters to. To do, you know, and 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 you and you know, television used to somewhat um, serial television. Right. Now I realize that's true because now I realize, like, when I picked up a newspaper as a child, I didn't understand the language of newspapers. I had to learn what they were. You know, you had to be, you had to read last week's newspaper to understand next week's story. Uh, so yeah, I, I see what you mean. If you tuned into the to the second season of Lost seventh episode on ABC, uh, you know eight years ago, did you understand what was going on? You know, and, and before it was all on demand, and you could you could start with episode number one, right? You know, I, I so I, I well I think it's even worth, you know teasing even, that a little bit more. Even if you started with episode number one, you probably like I, well, I was right. going to say you still wait, might not somebody, understand. Can, can somebody explain that one to me? Still, I, I know I. This just came up on my other podcast, like that Lost. <laughs> I, I got lost towards the end of Lost for sure. But there's a podcast on in the database that can help us one. understand what people were saying about it when it aired on TV. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, or the maybe saying about it now because they're rewatching it, right? Yeah, which is which is a very common genre of podcast now. The Lost Rewatch podcast. Well, and um, you know. So, Jeremy, you're also teaching about podcasts, too. So does the um, I'm curious what students are, how students are coming to podcasts. Is it something that has already been part of their world before they're arriving on a college campus? Or is this something new that they're exploring? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, um, I started teaching my podcasting class in 2014, and uh, it, there was it was not clear whether or not titling the class podcasting was going to help it or hurt it. So the, the original iteration of the course was just, you know, something like uh, music and sound cultures or something like that. It was, it was, there was no word podcasting in it. And then the year after, I think, uh, you know, serial had just broke and there was like a lot more recognition of the form. Uh, so I had put podcasting in it. So it's, it's now sound cultures, podcasting and music. Um, and I would still say for the year or two after that, a lot of students came to the class, probably more interested in the music side of things than in the podcasting side of things. There weren't a lot of university age students who were like super podcast fan. I'd get a couple of them in each class, but it wasn't like a, a majority of the class had a bunch of podcasts that they could list off as the things that they love listening to. Now, you know, five, six, what is it? Seven, almost seven years later, you know, almost, almost all the folks, I still get people in the class who, who don't engage with podcasts much or haven't before. 
um, but they're interested in learning about it. Uh, but I, I now have a range of students who are yeah, yeah, heavy listeners. I listen to this show all the time, or I listen to a wide range of shows. Um, you also have, I think, more development of audio skills. I think high schools have probably started incorporating a lot more like, here, let's use GarageBand for this assignment. Like they have more basic familiarity with audio editing than I ever would have uh, at that stage in my in my life. So that's an interesting switch too. But you also now have, you know, like I, I had an RSS feed for the course so that, because we listen to a lot of podcasts instead of, we have readings in the class, but we also have a bunch of podcasts that they have to listen to. And I had an RSS feed where I, I lined up all the podcasts and I was like, this would be a great way to deliver content. Like I'll just I put all the podcasts there for you to listen to. And I could only get about like 10 of the 35 students to subscribe to an RSS feed because that's just not how that wasn't their use case scenario. And it's even less now. Like every time I do the class now, they're like, oh, why haven't you compiled these as a Spotify playlist that we can just use? And I was like, well, actually, that's a great story and we'll talk about it. But like, <laughs> I can't get podcasts onto Spotify that I need you to listen to because Spotify doesn't have it in their database. So you can't hear it. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it's one of those those kind of learning moments both for them and for me that's interesting how the whole like the teaching of the class really exemplifies some of these issues we've been talking about i'm i'm curious what what podcasts you have them listen to oh gosh what's on the syllabus um we listen to well we do listen to an episode of serial just because i feel like i kind of have to do that but we listen to a range of shows. I'd say we cover a bunch of genres. We listen to The Truth, which is an audio fiction podcast. Um, one of my favorites I have them listen to is called How to Be a Girl. Uh, it's a podcast about uh, a woman raising a transgender child and just sort of what uh, what she's going through as a parent through that. Um, but it's a really neat mix of kind of like diary and first person uh, delivery, but extremely well. Uh, edited together. We read an article by Sarah Florini about a podcast called This Week in Blackness, which is a, you know, a kind of black podcasting network that uh, they've managed to form like a kind of media community that is uh, super interesting and very um, relevant in terms of like Black Lives Matter and things like that. So that, that ends up being a great one. And um, we listen to, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have the, the podcast, or sorry, the class divided out by themes. So you know, noise, silence, um, voice. And so we tend to listen to podcasts that are kind of around, around those themes. Uh, there's some 99% invisible in there. There's some more amateur stuff. There's a, a scholarly pod, a grad student podcast, uh, that was done at, at one of the Annenbergs, um, called 3620, which is no longer, uh, in production. And actually they were hosting it on Dropbox and Dropbox made a change to their, terms of service and it wouldn't allow you to host podcasts there anymore so they lost all their uh files um but yeah so that's another one of those examples where i uh i'm always thankful that like podcaster <laughs> you know has some of those um but yeah they, they they do a neat job about teaching about sound there's a podcast called reasonably yeah we listen to a bunch of shows about sound so reasonably sound is one of them uh yeah i could go on but i not we sure how great radio how surf- great radio that is. Well, but Radio Survivor should book every single one of the podcasts about sound that you recommend to your students as guests on episodes of Radio Survivor. Um, 
Jeremy Morris, you've you've built this podcaster, the podcast research archive. Uh, I'm wondering if you learned anything about podcasting that you didn't know before from your database. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, most of the learning for me has been around like the the thing that it is, like the 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 database that it is, and how to save sound. Sorry, my doorbell just went off there. Um, it, I I don't know, you know. I, I get to go in and study individual podcasts, but I'm not sure I'm at the, the point yet where I've like, oh, here's a bunch of things about podcasting as a, a medium or a format that I've learned. But I've learned a, a lot about what it means to try and preserve something, what it means to try and prever- preserve sound, what it means to create a project that I thought was just going to be this thing that lived in my iTunes thing on my computer and has become like a, a digital humanities project. Like th- those were not necessarily the reasons that I got into this in the sense that when I started in 2014, it was really out of a, Oh, these things might be going away. Uh, uh, that seems wrong. Is there anything I can do about it? (laughs) And so, you know, that quickly morphed into like, Oh, this thing we've built now I have to think about like, okay, what podcasts are we keeping? And what is the rationale for us doing that? Uh, you know, how do we find out who needs things saved? How do we present that data back to other people in a way that might be useful? Um, how do you deal with the very complicated questions that come up of, you know, trying to save an audio file and the data that goes along with it? Does that represent what like the history of podcasting is, you know, so there's a, a lot of, questions that I didn't even think of. They weren't part of why I was, I was just going to go update an article from 2008, you know, and, and, and it, it became this kind of other thing that has been super fruitful and wonderful to think about, but it's just not necessarily the direction I thought I was headed in. I think that answer tells us a lot because what you learned is you learned something about podcasting. Um, there's a word for what I'm searching for, and I don't possess it. But the what it is, the format, of, like where it exists, like where where is a podcast from last year in the world? Yeah, yeah. No, and it's also been you know it's one of those things where you just keep running into all the limits of of what you can do. Right. You know, and you had mentioned, um, YouTube before, but you know, YouTube is one of the like number one platforms for people getting their podcasts. And, you know, it's like, there's, there's a whole world of podcasting that even though I think we're doing a good job of tracking some of the things we're tracking, you know, we can't, you just, there's always going to be more that, that doesn't. And Eric wrote a chapter in the book. That's about like, what about all the other things around podcasts that people do? You know, like the, the Adobe session files that you, you might be using or the, the software program that you're using to record it. Like, do you want all the different versions of a podcast? Uh, what, what would you save? Would you save the, the website that went along with it? You know, Serial's website, for example, had a whole bunch of, it was a very integral part of that show. Yeah. Um, radio, so what gets, yeah. Radio survivors, RSS feed is our podcast edit, but radio survivor puts out two edits of every episode there's 
the edit that goes on to radio station that won't hear me say this. And there's the podcast edit. And so the Library of Congress is archiving our podcast edit. But where does our radio edit right. end up in in that mix? I think – I don't know if our guest on Radio Survivor from a year and a half ago who worked at the Library of Congress, when we told him, oh, yeah, there's a radio edit too. He's like, oh, we should – we should – probably do something about that yeah i don't know how do we do that i don't know well, what, and, what happens and that's interesting that's interesting too because i wonder how many podcasts that are also radio shows have two versions because i could see that being a very interesting oh, thing to study uh, as a scholar I mean, they really most do yeah. i mean just i mean one simple difference is that uh there's many public radio shows that are distributed as podcasts and very at the very least the underwriting will be replaced by real ads because there are no legal restrictions on what they can say in their podcast for an advertiser compared to what they can do on the air and keep their non-commercial license in good standing with the FCC. So that is at least if you, you will have two versions of this American life, two versions of marketplace, et cetera. However, the radio versions are not distri- are distributed in an entirely different way. Right, and we haven't yeah. said the word Patreon yet, but I would like. Yeah. I know that there are extremely popular podcasts that have publicly available episodes and then Patreon only episodes, and so behind a paywall. Yeah, and and how are those individual shows might be doing work to preserve their paywalled content, but maybe they're not. Probably and some of them. Patreon well, lets you make make an RSS feed uh, for those. If but the, it's it's a private RSS feed that you. I, I and I don't actually know the mechanics of how you subscribe to it and such. But it's optional, and I don't know how many folks huh. use it. And then it brings I can up. Guess, but I'm not going to guess. It brings up you know ethics, which Jeremy, you've brought up a little right. bit too. So if you have Patreons who are donating money to get this special bonus content. Um, then is it ethical to then take that content and, you know, preserve it somewhere else for everyone to see? Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think this is also why, um, I guess we were talking about this before the show started, so I'll just mention it here, but the there's another um, preservation initiative, which I uh, really like. It's called the Preserve This, Pod, um, uh, Preserve this Podcast uh, Initiative, and uh, it's a team of audio archivists and audio producers that, um, their angle is basically, you know, teaching podcasters skills for how to preserve the, how to preserve the the podcasts as they're making them. Right. So uh, it's sort of less reliant on like an institution to go in after the fact and save the thing, but just saying, look, if everybody who's making these things, is also taking care about saving these things, then we'll be in a better place, you know? And so, um, I think for some of those things that you mentioned there, right? Like that's certainly the, the way to push that, right? It's like you're creating, and I think it's just about convincing the people who are making those things that the thing that they're doing matters enough right. that people are going to be interested in it in the future. Like you probably don't think that your podcast about whatever it is about is that big a deal. My, but, I, the, the one I want to mention, and I'm not sure if I've done this successfully, but some young people that I'm friends with in Portland, Oregon, had a podcast where they joked about racism. It was like a white comedian, a black comedian, and a an, uh, South Asian, all you know, all American Portland comedians joking around about racism for 180 episodes in real time. 
you know, uh, from from a couple of years before George Floyd to a year after. And like that podcast to me is just like a perfect example because I don't know if those people in their 20s value the work that they did now that it's been five years old and they didn't get famous for doing it. But I really right. do. I just find it to be remarkable. So right. yeah, podcasts. Yeah, no, and it's, it, it is it is one of those things where you, you can have these conversations from perspectives that you wouldn't necessarily hear in mainstream media, and some of them can be really powerful. Some of them can, you know, probably also be really awful and horrible, but, like, there, there is so much of that work being done that, and a lot of people are just like, this is just a thing I'm going to treat like a, a blog post, and if it goes away, that's fine. Um and I think I think that's a shame in some cases, you know. I mean, obviously, there's some things I believe that you know sh- maybe should go away. But um, well, you know. I was thinking well, I mean, about uh, Ted Cruz's podcast, right? And the the senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, has a podcast. Like that would definitely be something that future historians should should hear, even if Ted Cruz doesn't archive it. And then I was thinking about AOC's uh, Instagram videos which are live unarchived videos that go out to a million of uh alexandria ocasio-cortez's followers on instagram that are just uh, moments of time which are incredible documents if you've ever had the occasion to see one they're the young congresswoman's reaction to the news of the day to uh, to an audience on their phones uh the moment it happened, it's sometimes uh, I've wondered if anyone's archiving it. I'm hoping someone's archiving it. Well, I mean, in some cases, aren't you required to, um, you know, if you are like, if you're the president, I think a lot of these things are required to be archived. I don't know if that's the case. The White House's YouTube channel is archived for senators, but um, it's, it makes a great point about, um, some of these tools we use now that that feel ephemeral and are people working to save it. And frankly, you know, none of us know what is going to be of interest to future researchers. You know, I think about, you know, my own area of interest, like college radio history, and I'm so glad that there were people that thought to take the radio station files over to the archivist at my school so that that material was available for us years later to, you know, read through meeting meeting notes and see flyers that were on the wall. And a lot of times that kind of stuff gets thrown away. So, you know, we just don't know what, what somebody, what rabbit hole somebody's going to want to go down. So I, I'm all for saving all of it. (laughs) Save all the things, save all the things. Yes. My favorite, uh, I want to get back onto topic because I think that Jeremy Morris has more good stuff for us to talk about in the podcast. But my favorite episode of Joe Frank, and it's not an episode, it's just a joke that he told in the midst of his uh, radio theater show from Pacifica Radio that aired from the late 70s to the early 2000s. And one of the jokes was this man who went around with two tape recorders one strapped to his body that was recording everything that happened at while he walked around New York City, and the other tape recorder his friend was carrying, which was playing the tape from yesterday. <laughs> I've, thought, I've thought about that whenever I try to archive I think every single thing. I think you thing. need to do that still, Eric. That's, yeah, you that's, can't I archive everything, because then you'll, you'll run out of 
space yeah. to experience the present. Well, it's funny. Like, if you listen to a lot of audio fiction, a lot of the premise of a lot of podcasts is around saving audio. And, you know, I mean, I listened to this one called Archive 81, um, which is this really neat kind of sci-fi uh, show it's not something I ever thought I would be into, and I got I got really into the first season. But you know, a lot of it is just kind of like meta reflection on what it means to record a voice. Um, the uh, the the one that became an Amazon series, uh, Home Homecoming, is that what? Uh, yeah, is that the name of that yeah, one? Yeah. Um, uh, you know that that first season of that for sure is all built around the device of the recording tape and the different messages that get put into it. So there's a lot of reflection in podcasts about saving audio or about what it means to be, you know, recording. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been, that's been another kind of fun discovery is just kind of hearing the way that these ideas about preservation or saving audio then get transformed into these kind of fictional, fictional stories. But you've reminded me that one of the things that have frustrated me about podcasts, this entire time of podcasts is how heavily weighted they are towards the now. And how how much we disregard last year's episode, unless it's been unless unless the producers put it back into the top of the feed, and I mean that's it's reasonable to a certain extent, but it it also um, is that any different, Eric, than any other platform? I'm just you know right. no. think about television. Um, well, like film, for some reason we've decided to really value for some at some point like it maybe took a hundred years and maybe in the middle they threw everything away right you know there's a lot of film that hasn't that that got lost uh from a certain moment in film history i think in like the 30s uh is a popular you know they just threw it away <laughs> they didn't care about preserving it at that point even though it was uh very archival black and white. See, but I think I think it's it's a bias that's built into the system. I agree because it is it the very nature of that RSS feed is reverse chronological. The most recent entry is at the top, right? And that's true of blogging where it has that you know, and and that is right. And and that's a, a fundamental structural shift of the internet that I don't think people give enough credit to. That when you had a website in 1996, you coded it by hand, typically, or with some rudimentary editor, and it was kind of static. And it was in that period between sort of the 96 to 2000 in which some companies innovated ways of making dynamic websites, websites that could be updated easily all the way up to what we have today is a website that is effectively customized to you in some shape or form. And part of that step forward is that sort of 98 to 2002 rise of blogging, which took the idea of the dynamic website that at least can be very easily updated and made that possible for the average person, not just the New York times, right? Not just Yahoo. And the bias built into it because it was a web log <laughs> is that the newest thing first. 
uh, and then therefore baked in. And the whole idea behind the RSS feed is being able to build a reader so you didn't have to go and look at the website and visit all 30 websites you wanted to follow that would go and tell you what's new now. And like it's sort of fundamentally baked into the system, uh, right? And it doesn't mean that backwards exploration isn't possible. In fact, it's fully possible, only except that, uh, you know, it's not the default it's not the default right thank you jeremy yeah no for sure and i think that's where where you know you you get these there's a way in which you could uh design you know search engines that would promote these connections not just from like the thing that was most recently released but also things that were released five ten years ago if you were searching for a keyword um and sometimes YouTube dubs that, right? Sometimes you go to YouTube and it, del- and it and and on your front screen it'll show you something that is years old because it's related to something that you watched just this last mi- minute, yeah. right? It, it it's it it tends towards that same uh, immediate uh, recency bias, but is not. But but because there's an algorithm that is being actively worked on and changed all the time. That that algorithm can can its bias can be changed as well. I, I just went to Spotify and I just searched the Beastie Boys, and I don't get the first. I don't get the most recent album that they released. I get the popular albums in order, and so it goes: License to Ill, nineteen eighty six; Hello Nasty, nineteen ninety eight. But if Paul's they released, Boutique, a, but if they released a single, but see, you're talking right. about a band. Not if they had released a single last week. No, of course. Would that be the first thing if you see? If it's popular, right? if if Spotify thinks it's popular, they will show you a single that yeah. has less views than the most popular song. But yes, that's but a music good point. is consumed very differently from podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, and yet I have a friend who who when she uh, adopts a new podcast, she likes to go back to the first episode. And if, I asked, she can. I asked new listeners to Radio Survivor not to do that. Well, but. <laughs> Don't start you know, it right episode one. Start it. Start around episode oh, 300. Yeah, for Radio Survivor. I mean, but there are <laughs> other things like, you know, we mentioned rewatch podcasts, and that's the kind of podcast that I do on the side is a rewatch podcast. And, you know, I guess we assume our listeners are going to start watching the show from the beginning and then start listening to our podcast from the beginning. But maybe not. Maybe people yeah. dip in. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the... Um the note about like music and podcasts are different and they are for sure. What, you know, what I think is interesting and what Spotify is doing is they're, they're making it all part of that same search interface though. Right. So it's like they're, they're being pushed together in a way that, that hasn't, you know, there were at least separate tabs in iTunes and podcasts that made you feel like you were going, okay, I'm going to search the podcast thing. Now I'm going to search the music. Whereas, you know, Spotify is doing these really interesting things in terms of like combining all that into this one audio experience you say interesting and i i say horrible (laughs) i I put interesting in 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 quotes so that listeners could interpret that in the way that feels right to them i maybe it's inappropriate for me to speculate but i'm assuming that they make so much more money off of someone sitting down to listen to a podcast that they don't have to pay the artist a dime or even half a cent for the stream while they have to pay the half a cent for the stream of all the pop songs that they, or any It's not song. quite as simple as that, but you're not necessarily off the mark. 
Um, it's it's complicated. They are paying Joe Rogan a whole lot of money. They are paying a, a, a bunch of podcasters a whole lot of money. They are producing a lot of podcasts. So yeah. there is capital investment nevertheless. But the economics are different. It's and weird, though, too, because it's they, they don't, they're not producing music. Although at one time I think they had a few Spotify sessions. But anyway, I don't – Maybe that's the right. wrong. And, and it's also worth pointing out if you listen to a podcast that if you listen to This American Life on Spotify, the ads you're going to hear are ads that are put in there by the producers of This American Life. They are earning the money from those yeah, ads, funds their not show. Spotify. It's only any ads that would be between podcasts or between podcasts and music if you're listening on the free version of Spotify. Uh, right. That that Spotify is paid for, and of course, if you're a paid subscriber, um, then but, you know, then, then that's then you know right. th- that income is Spotify. But if you listen to Reply All on Spotify, then which is which is you're, you're now saying is owned by Gimlet, which is owned by Spotify, then yes, uh, that that fully that system is fully closed, and uh, the revenue is Spotify's, which is weird. Yeah, it's brand new, although not that weird, right? You work for Stitcher. But Apple never had that. No, they never tried to monetize. Yeah, they never tried to. And Apple experimented briefly with audio advertising four or five years ago and quickly dropped it. And it was uh, for streaming. So it was for their streaming music service. They uh, briefly offered free versions that were spo- that advertising uh, uh, supported and, uh, and then quickly dropped it um, and went all paid. Um, but uh, that's deep, deep audio nerdery right there. What <laughs> that's what we're all here for. We are definitely <laughs> here for audio nerdery. Well, <laughs> and I and I think Jeremy, I just want to thank you for joining us, and I look forward to having you come back to talk about the book, where we're going to get even nerdier. Awesome! Yeah, no, I was uh, super happy to be invited. I again, well, you know, it was the earliest invite was pre. Or just as the start of of uh, of COVID, so I, I'm, I, it's been a long time since I've wanted to do this. So I'm glad, I'm glad I've, I've been able to, and yeah, glad that I'm uh, potentially coming back. I won't yeah. say definitely. I won't say definitely no. in case you know definitely. whatever happens. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes of this podcast. <laughs> you're coming here. back as long as you're coming. You're looking back. at you're looking at the committee. Yeah, I know, um. I know. Yeah, hopefully it won't be a, a year and a half. Um. So that was a, a very long um, yeah, pitch long. to invitation or invitation to actually being on the show. Uh, we uh, we like to have people on sooner than that, so it'll be sooner so, rather than later. My thanks to our guest today on Radio Survivor, Jeremy Morris, associate professor, media and cultural studies in the Department of Communication Arts at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. We were talking about podcastry, which is short for podcast research. You can find links uh, to, to many of the things we spoke on today on the show notes for today's episode at radiosurvivor.com. We love getting emails from our listeners. The email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. This is a show that you can <laughs> you can subscribe using the good old RSS feed. Radio Survivor has an RSS feed, and you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Jennifer Waits and Paul Reese Mendel, my name is Eric Klein. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.